Astonishing podcast. My name is Curry or Curry, but I'm not alone. There's one more pumpkin glowing in the dark. It's Henrik. Yeah, one of the nicest things that anyone has ever said about me. You're welcome. Thanks much. What is this cast, Henrik? Let's do a nice little recap. So, it's a podcast about movies in general. We really like movies of any kind, mostly, so that's what we like to do. And we don't take any orders from anywhere else. We have decided that this this is kind of our niche, not having a niche much. That's one way to say it. <laughs> All right, so Henrik, it's Halloween three time. What is your personal history with Halloween three, the bastard child of the Halloween franchise? It's kind of a shared history between you and me, I would say. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like it was disclosed last time, you know, th- this was a huge sticking point between us all those years ago. Well, I, I we first first came to contact. I hope you have forgotten me for all those probably nasty language that I have posted when I was a kid. <laughs> well, to be completely honest, it was one of the n- nicest reader feedbacks that I got. Back when working on that site. I see. That and that one email that I got where it was asked if I can help someone to get weird French pornography. (laughs) So, to listeners who haven't listened to the first podcast of the show, we have a kind of a history together before. And, well, that sounds kind of awkward. But, uh, yeah... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we we got to know each other via a website where Henrik was writing material, uh, movie reviews. And so I saw him on the website and I saw a problem with two reviews on that website. And I was a very smart 15-year-old and then I contacted Henrik about it. And I gave you a hard time about your review about Halloween 3. I wasn't too nice to him. But uh, after that, for some reason, we, my gang decided to take Henrik on board to our new website called Vitonen. So he left the old website and joined us. And it turned out to be a really good thing. Uh, Henrik has has always had uh, his talent with words. It's great to think back of some of your reviews. For example, the reviews that you wrote about those educational videos. (laughs) To be honest, I mostly just try to forget all those reviews. (laughs) I still have them. They are uh, gold. Gold. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the internet wayback machine never actually stored a backup either of those sites. <laughs> I'm forever yeah. grateful for that. God damn. Huh. Shame. It's interesting how the emotions go back and forth because I don't think I ever was a big fan of this movie. And when I first saw it, I believe, yeah, at that point I had already seen some of the other Halloween movies. So I was expecting probably Michael Myers, which I didn't get. So yeah, 
understandably, I was disappointed. But as time went by and I became 15 or so, I, I could see some other values in Halloween 3. But as time went on even further, then I didn't see those values anymore. But now again, after viewing it again, after maybe 15 years now, I could see a lot of positive things about Halloween Season of the Witch, actually. What about you? In my case, well, to kick this off, when I first came to contact with Halloween 3, the marketing campaign, or, or there was not marketing campaign at that point anymore because the movie was old as fuck when I got my copy of it, but the front cover of my VHS copy of Season of the Witch is actually the front image of Halloween 6, <coughs> only tinted green in this case. So basically the marketing that the movie presents itself through the front cover is pushes the Michael Myers aspect extremely loudly and that was something that still pisses me off to no end like if uh, I'm fine kind of with the idea of the movie taking this anthology road and trying something something different but if you are going to do that then don't push the Michael Myers Myers imagery in your presentation and I understand that it's not the filmmaker's fault. This is this is the distribution companies working and future films and producers of the movie. But still, I mean, what what in the God's name were you thinking at that time? Otherwise, the film itself, visiting it now after all this time. I find that I have grown more softer towards the movie itself. Like, these days, now that I watch it again, I found a lot more things that I liked in Halloween 3. That being said, the sticking points that I had all those years ago when I wrote my first review of this film, they are still there. The problems I found with the plot are still very prominently there, and they still actually grind my nerves. So that's my take on, you know, revisiting Halloween 3. Yeah, the story goes something like, the producers, absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, wanted to have a new Halloween movie, but John Carpenter was certain that he would not want to go back to the Michael Myers storyline because as far as he was concerned it was finished so he just talked with the producers and they decided that okay Mr. Carpenter you go ahead and do whatever the hell you want but it's going to be called Halloween 3 and there was a commentary from Tommy Lee Wallace the director somewhere and and he said that at one point, at least, he didn't want this movie to be called Halloween because it had nothing to do with Michael Myers and it would piss off the fans. It was something like Tommy Lee Wallace, a little bit before the release of the movie, he was worried that there was kind of a 
outrage from public that they really want to see Michael Myers. So Tommy Lee Wallace tried to do something about it, but probably the production and the marketing post-production was already so far ahead that there was nothing that could be done. And actually, the producers didn't want to change it anyway. So it's kind of a tough, tough place for this movie. But then again, this movie would never had existed if it were not part of the Halloween franchise. Yeah, it's kind of a the blessing and the curse of the horror situation that you, you get to make the movie because of the name Halloween and at the same time the name Halloween is also going to be the main reason why your movie gets crucified later on. Yeah, I can completely see how, how why people could have been pissed off in 1982 after the pretty great As far as I'm concerned, fantastic Halloween 2, and they wanted some more. But looking at it now as a, more of a standalone movie, because I can, and because I can set this movie kind of against all the shit shows that followed in the franchise later on, it's actually a pretty okay movie. But we'll get to that. Yeah. To be once again, you know, the devil's advocate here, I would actually make the case that Halloween 3... Would might not have faced the turbulence it did upon its release had there been a stronger marketing push highlighting the point that this is not a continuation to Michael Myers' storyline. Like you could you could have had Halloween 3 season of the witch, and it could have opened pretty welcoming audiences if you would have strongly throughout the production of the movie brought out the point that even though this is Halloween 3 season of the witch this is not continuation to Michael Myers storyline but we are trying something new I would argue that in that case the audiences would have been more understanding regarding Halloween 2018 a small snippet of John Carpenter's new soundtrack has emerged The soundtrack that he is doing or has done with his son, I believe, is it Cody? Uh, and and then, then there is uh, another dude. So it's a three-people team. And it sounds really simplified, just like the original. So I'm having really high hopes for this. Of course, it's just like a 30-second snippet and half of it is the Halloween theme. Okay, well, that's could be good news because I was actually worrying that it will be Halloween theme added with some dubstep. Now bring it to modern modern day. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Something like that. To be completely honest, you know, that soundtrack still could actually be the most interesting part of the Halloween 2018. You're actually right, because well, Carpenter is Halloween. or So he's the only one of the bunch that has been like a huge creative force of the original movie. So... Yeah, high hopes, high hopes. I think it will definitely kind of legitimize it as a Halloween movie, proper Halloween movie. Henrik, what is Halloween 3 about? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, witchcraft meets the computer age. <coughs> Halloween 3 basically is about people doing fuck-off and ripping off Robocop. I can see some... Uh, ripping off of Alien. 
which uh, one? How do you see ripping off Alien? I see ripping off Alien in the form of androids. Granted, probably a lot of androids had been in movies by then, but I think it all is rooted to Alien. Yep, that was actually the first idea I also have. Mostly because, you know, Robocop came after Halloween 3, so in that sense too, it's Mm. more closer to Alien. Yeah, and actually, did you know that the actor Stacey Nelkin was scheduled to be in Blade Runner, but uh, due to some budget constraints, at the last second they decided not to have Stacey Nelkin as one of the kind of droids, or what are they in Blade Runner? Yeah, I... Yeah, I heard about the whole replica casting, but I wasn't sure if it was because of St- Stacey Nelkin's paycheck or because Ridley Scott really wanted Daryl Hannah and Sean Young to be cast. And then it was really quick. There was probably just 24 or 48 hours before Stacey Nelkin was cast when they first heard of her for the Halloween 3 because they, they were really starting the production already and shooting and everything. So they had to have somebody. And apparently everything fell into place there. And Tom Atkins commented that he was happy with this choice. So off they well, went. Uh, yeah, I can believe that Tom Atkins <laughs> was happy with the choice. Carpenter didn't want to write this one. So they got a famous British sci-fi writer, Nigel Neal. He was brought on board and... Dino De Laurenti, the producer, didn't like the script, so he passed it on to Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace, and they kind of messed it up as far as Neil is concerned. And Neil was disgusted with the changes and asked to be removed from the credits. Uh, Carpenter also asked to be removed. Uh, Neil being removed out of his own will is kind of interesting, because all that I've heard of the original Neil script which is probably nowhere to be found, is that it was really dark. And it was so dark, in fact, that Tommy Lee Wallace felt that he had to kind of undarken it a little bit. In the final product, there's a lot of on-screen violence still, and that's what I would consider myself, something that is dark. It's a pretty dark movie. Well, that's surprising, because I've also heard that Tommy Lee Wallace Wallace has made the statement that the final script still would be like like yeah. he 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 claims that he did not change it that much yeah F- from what i've heard it doesn't really make sense so he made a really dark script and the movie is really dark so what's the problem <laughs> well you know if the script was too dark for a hollywood horror film that actually would give me some hope with the original script seeing, you know, what is the final script that we get with the film. I would be really interested in reading the original. Yeah, me too. I read the shooting script, but uh, it's basically what they shot, but there's also some extra scenes, and we can get to that. But most of the stuff that they left out, it's probably for the best that they left it out. There's a certain difference in how this character that is at the hotel, the woman who gets blasted by the pin, she dies at a different point in the movie. But we'll get to that. It plays out a little differently. So Tommy Lee Wallace has called sequels basically a disease of Hollywood. So if this would have been a third Michael Myers movie, I think he would have not been interested. But since it was a new story, 
he was brought on board. Technically still a sequel. Yeah, technically. Yeah. And does nothing to, you know, save Tommy Lee Wallace, Wallace himself from later on going on and making Fright Night 2, which was completely original film and not a sequel at any way. And what did you think of that? Yeah, well, it was... Eh, yeah. It, 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 it was okay. It was better than Fright Night 2018 Part 2. But There's something like that. If I remember correctly, there is. So for the most part, this movie feels a little bit like a Stephen King novel or another Stephen King movie. And it's pretty okay with that. It's like a witchcraft. A simple... Okay, it's it's not a simple story. Let's say it's a very interesting, quite original witchcraft story. I'm actually quite opposite to that notion. Like, like I, I can see the Stephen King connection. Especially with the ending. Especially with the ending in the sense that there is really strong build-up and the beginning is extremely, extremely good. And there is this nice mystery element going on. And then there is the ending, which goes completely bonkers. <laughs> I think this will be a fun episode to kind of talk about all these differences that we may have. This is probably the first episode where we kind of clash totally with some, some areas. We'll see. Looking forward to it. Yeah, fighting with people over the internet is always great fun. No fighting. Discussion. <laughs> the movie starts when this guy is uh, trying to get away from these robots. At this point, we don't still know that they are robots. So when this guy gets crashed between the two cars, it always kind of amused me and still amuses me how that happens. But then again, that movement is kind of kind of robotic, like system going down. So, but if you don't know that there are robots, which you don't know at that point, it's it looks kind of hilarious. Then there is the point if anyone would actually crush to death with that kind of impact. But okay, the movie establishes as well that the robots are quite weak and you can just punch through their chest and they will get destroyed. They also don't know what is dodging from underneath an oncoming car. Yeah, and what a risk this guy takes. This is interesting scene for me. The guy also takes a huge risk by getting crushed himself, but magically he doesn't. Yeah, well, I, I can see the guy counting on, you know, not being crushed himself simply by the position of him and how the robot is kind of a crouch over him at the positioning of their bodies. So I, I would say he made a right calculation on that moment, counting on the fact that, you know, because the robot is much higher and higher than him, he, yeah. the robot's shoulders will take the first impact and this way, you know, prevent the guy from being crushed. What did you think about the pumpkin opening? It was Deborah Hill's idea to get some kind of a electric or computer age pumpkin thing. Um, I have to say that whenever they show something coming from television in movies, especially old televisions with low resolution and especially so close to the screen, it always gives me kind of a... I don't know, I, I don't like it. It uh, kind of looks cheap and yeah, it just doesn't look quite right. But I like the music though. 
I like the soundtrack throughout. It's okay and it's a very Carpenterian. John Carpenter and Alan Howard did the soundtrack, like in Halloween too. I myself did not have problem with the pumpkin opening yeah, in this movie. It's memorable. It's okay. Yeah, and if if you watch enough of these old 80s sci-fi and computer age horror flicks, you can kind of get so used to the crappy ass image construction and everything. You know that all that low tech that it just does not stick in your eye later on. Yeah, it's okay. I just thought that they could could have used some other other fonts for the titles as well. And at least its movie has a pumpkin, you know. I I thought it was always a really like important part of the series. Yeah. Yeah, the opening is not as memorable as for example Halloween 2's opening, which I liked way better. But I wouldn't say that the opening is bad. Like the real troubles yeah. with the film come later on. Yeah. Yeah, and they probably wanted to differentiate this movie a lot with Halloween 2 and Halloween. So they came up with something else and maybe something less punchy in style as as the Halloween 1 Halloween 2 theme is. Like it's it has this clear beat and theme. Here it's a little bit all over the place. This guy gets to the gas station. It's kind of interesting that the guy has nothing else to say when he gets to the gas station that they are coming. Yeah, who the hell is coming? That wasn't very descriptive. So and then we get to this scene where Dr. Chalice goes to see his kids. And the ex-wife of Dr. Chalice is the actor Nancy Kais, Nancy Loomis, from Halloween and Halloween 2. And uh, she is the only one who appears in all of the first three Halloween movies, uh, apart what, from Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis's role as a the weird lady on loudspeaker who... Da- announces that it's curfew. Yeah, I do count her. So those two. Okay. <laughs> this little boy of the Dr. Chalice, he is the son of the exorcist actor, the priest in Exorcist, the younger yeah, one. Yeah, Damien Karas. Right, right. Yeah, and the name of this actor here is slipping from me. I believe this hospital is the same that they used in Halloween too, but I'm not sure. Did you find anything like this? No, I was too kind of a, I was too concentrated on the point how great it would have been to be a doctor during the eighties horror films where you can go to a bar and get drunk as a skunk and then show up to work to sexually harass your coworkers. Yeah. You can't yeah, you can't do that that kind of stuff anymore. Which is yeah. the reason why I never got into medical profession. <laughs> it looks like the old lady doesn't have a big problem with that. She actually slaps him back, which is a nice balancing act, as at least. But God, yeah, that sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, it, I would say it only sticks out because that was basically everything. Basically, every movie doctor did that exact same kind of a stunt back then yeah i mean we have to remember that also the doctor in halloween 2 was actually coming from the club at the beginning of the film also drunk and as all fuck but he wasn't slapping asses there well he was too drunk to slap asses <laughs> let's talk about the sexual relations 
of Dr. Chalice throughout this movie. So this this guy has probably had sex with every woman in this movie. Let me count. There is this older lady, nurse. He probably hasn't had sex with this one because it, I just don't get that feeling. But then there is this younger girl in the coronary department and they definitely have had something going on. And then there not is... Confirmed. Not confirmed throughout the movie. That they, it, it is hinted that, you know, they have had something, but sex is never laid out straight. Well, the girl gives a kiss to the Dr. Chalice's cheek. You're, you're just reading too much to all the ass slapping. And definitely has sex with the Stacey Elkin character. And obviously has had sex with his ex-wife. And Not confirmed. Not confirmed. The kids can be adopted. <laughs> or some previous relationship. You are you are very much taking the scientific approach here. <laughs> I applaud you for that. Yeah, that... yeah, you know, just pointing out my opinion, man, really did not work out. So I'm <laughs> I'm trying to go with the sciences here. And also, Doctor Chalice's real life wife of that time is featured in the movie. She's the one who gets the blue light to her face and gets her face destroyed. She's the one that goes with the car to the hotel and says, damn factory, got their orders screwed up again. Now I have to stay in this dump again or something. So, yeah, you know, that really must have been a fun scene to film because you you get to basically lie on your bed while listening to your husband having film sex with a much younger woman and you are actually the only character in the movie that most definitely has not had sex. Yeah. Interesting world acting. You can you can do things that otherwise would be totally out of the question. Yeah. I mean, you know, it would be really interested interesting to hear what was her, you know, character motivation on that scene. <laughs> the car that is in flames in the parking lot of the hospital will probably forever remind me of Roger Ebert. So I will now rename this car the Roger Ebert car. I will give you one quote. There are a lot of problems with Halloween 3, but the most basic one is that I could never figure out what the villain wanted to accomplish if he got his way, unquote. So this is really odd because this is explained in detail when Dr. Chalice is captured and Dan O'Hurley actor Connell Cochran character explains his plot that he's basically some kind of ancient druid villain right and the planets happen to be in alignment after 3000 years and therefore it's time to have some blood sacrifice again so the planets yeah. planets are are in so-called syzygy after 3000 years a sacrifice to pagan gods is required and the stonehenge rock apparently works as some kind of calendar but, that, but you know that right there actually is my major sticking point and i'm with ebert here 100 percent but it's no, explained no, no, so... no, no matter no matter how much i've actually clashed with ebert's reviews and how much ready i am you know to trash talk the guy especially now that he's dead and can no longer defend himself but you know on this point roger ebert actually nails it Straight no, down the middle. It's there's just no goddamn. There's like this is one of my major sticking points with Halloween 3. Was 
years before and still is. There is no goddamn rhyme or reason to the bad guy's plan. But that's incorrect. He explains it in detail right there, like I just said. So what are you miss- fuck, missing? Fuck all. Doesn't explain shit. Doesn't explain shit on that moment. Blood sacrifice. Yeah, blood sacrifice. Why bl- blood sacrifice? Because the planets are in uh, alignment. Well, why the fuck do you want to, you know, have a blood sacrifice when planets are in alignment? The, I don't know. I once read a book that, you know, during the agents' times, Halloween was spooky scary. So now I'm going to po- kill a bunch of kids because of that. Well, fuck off. Seriously. The well, dude has the dude has actually a multi, multi-million dollar business where he pretty much has the most high-selling Halloween masks throughout the country. And, you know, if we are to go with the toy shop seller guy, yeah, I mean, the Ralph Strait character, the buddy copper who was some kind of a big shot toyser, you know, if we go by his statement, the Cochran actually, besides the masks, he also has a huge, huge take on the funny stuff and kids' toys and, you know, stuff like that. So basically, the dude has a multi-million empire at his hands. And now he's pissing it all away by openly, you know, killing a bunch of children, his own fucking customer group and their parents because all move planets are in alignment and Halloween is spooky scary in its essence. Yeah, I kind of took it as something like he has been building up for this moment for a long, long time. Well, granted, if he took over the small village after the Second World War, as they say, then he would have already been in business for 40 freaking years. So in that case, the only thing that makes sense to me is that the character Cochrane was taken over by some witch spirit. That's the only, only thing I can think of. Yeah, and you know, in that case, you are actually ending up kind of making excuses for the movie so that the bad guy would actually have some point in what he's doing. Like, basically, you know... Maybe, but I don't think everything has to make always so much sense. I think it kind of adds to the mystique of this character. Well, yeah, it you know, at points it can add to the mystique. God damn it, we are in the beer drinking part already, thanks to, you know, Cochrane's crazy-ass plans. And thanks to Tom Atkins for his Miller. Yeah, god damn. But, but seriously, it can make up the mystique, and not everything needs to be explained. You know, you are right on that account. But what is the end game for yeah. Cochrane? The end- what, what does he a ga- stand to gain throughout this blood sacrifice? I mean, the dude makes the speech that it's going to be a different world after the, you know, the Halloween night, that after I, the blo- yeah. blood sacrifice. Yeah, there I can meet you because for me, I could never understand how the world will actually change. But I understand that he is giving this sacrifice for some kind of gods. So that that checks out, all right. But how yeah. does it actually change anything? Do yeah, you... especially because Cochrane himself is already changing the world throughout, you know, the usage of robots. He has mechanized help. He has highly functional robots that can actually work as assassins. And he has, as we see during the end fight with the Stacy Nelkin robot, 
that he actually has already some kind of a Wi-Fi operated robots developed before the internet. So basically he has Wi-Fi in an age before internet and still, you know, you know, fuck all that technological advancement. I'm just going to kill some bunch of kids and ruin my business because that's Mars. But it's a witch. You have to grant some of this. Uh, he, he's a goddamn dumbass. He, he's a guy who goes on about how the world will be, how the world is going to be a different place. At the same time, he's basically running a government within a government that can actually govern the actual government throughout these assassinations. Yeah, well. so he, he's making the world a different place already at that point. And he's, you know, he's throwing it all away. Because of a goddamn blood sacrifice plan. For fuck's sake. You know, that that's not any, you know, druid mastermind. That's a dumb prick. Actually, when you think about it, because this is a witch, you can grant even more things. Like, maybe the 40 or so years, 35 years of manufacturing these things is okay, because... Maybe he is everlasting. Maybe he could control time and come to straight to 82 and just do what he needed to do. Yeah. So he if, if we go, go, go with the, you know, the idea that here's Doctor Who or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Why not? You have to kind of suspend your beliefs. Yeah, you have to suspend a lot with Halloween 3. Yeah, but it's... it's, uh, it's not grounded on reality as much as the Michael Myers storyline is. So, you, you it's, just... it's not grounded in logic. That's what it is. Mm, okay, but I still enjoy the movie. It's great fun. Yeah, uh, I I can see that, and I still, you know, for my defense, I still enjoyed Halloween three for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. There are things that I enjoyed a lot in Halloween 3. I like a lot about the mystery that plays out that or that starts at the beginning of the film. I liked the atmosphere of dread that that is present in Santa Mira. Mm-hmm. I liked the beginning of their investigation to Santa Mira and I like this police state aspect that the film has with the constant you know, surveillance from the robots and the surveillance camera and Mm. how basically every place in Satamira is bugged and they can listen to you all the time everywhere and they are willing to use the robots, you know, to crush out and kill everyone who is not willing to go with the program. Yeah, I, I I liked a lot about that. But the end payoff that you get at the end of the movie is just so fucking lackluster that it kind of shoots the whole thing down. Interesting. Well, I actually in- enjoyed the ending because it leaves it open for interpretation. But uh, I-, I suppose you could say that most of the audience, me included, kind of the first thing that you can think of is that the Conal Cochran plan actually goes into fruition. And yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. But I, we, I we have, have we, ha- we have so many happy endings in horror movies and other movies, so we can try something else. Yeah, I'm with you there, one hundred percent. I like the fact that the bad guy kind 
it appears that the bad guy kind of wins and Cochrane's plans comes to fruition, at least partly, at the end of the film. Yeah. That, that, that was a great way to end the movie. I like this downer ending. Also very much because, like you said, they are quite rare in movies. Yeah. Even in horror movies. There's actually a reason for that, because if you check out some film psychology, it seems that the audiences usually always want psychologically some kind of happy ending. And even if they kind of otherwise loved the movie, they cannot explain why they didn't really care for the movie afterwards. And the explanation is apparently that people don't like bad endings. Audiences or test audiences, because those are two completely different things. Yeah, I believe just audiences in general, they somehow cannot stomach the because, bad. Yeah, because I could really see that that is the problem with test audiences, but then again, horror fans would be kind of a different breed here. Yeah. And it, much more welcoming ima- to the downer endings. Imagine seeing this for the first time in the theater and just seeing the stop it ending and roll credits. Yeah, it's a bit of a downer moment. But Yeah, and that is that is great. The downer moment is great. Mm. But still, the end game with Cochrane's plan. God fucking damn it. <laughs> Seriously. I, I, what, I what, mean, do you, what is the problem? The problem with well, what? The Cochrane's plan. Yeah, well, the, the, uh, ju- the just problem like I, is that... What the, I just said. <laughs> yeah, maybe the, his the soul is taken over by, okay, I'm getting... Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you don't know, like in Halloween and Halloween 2, you just kind of have to fill in the blanks with your own thinking. Yeah, but there, in in this case, you have to kind of fill in the blanks with the whole goddamn idea. It's not so much as, you know, filling in the blanks as it's filling in the logic. Mm. You, you, are, you are not trying to, you know, piece together a few missing pieces. When it comes to logic, in in this case, you are actually trying to determine how strong the brain damage is going on. Well, it just depends how much of brain damage you're willing to take, because the in the opening 15 minutes, there's this robot that comes to the hospital and just puts a finger through the guy's eyeballs and kills him and kind of scratches his skull and kills him. So that's kind of the world we're living in. So yeah, if you, if you not, ac- not- if you accept that, then I think you should accept the warlock that has been in hibernation for thirty five years, and now he's going to put his plan into fruition. Well, once again, never has it said that the Cochrane has been hibernation. Well, in the sense that he ha- hasn't put this plan into completion yet. He has waited for a long time. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know he has been wa- waiting to you know. Maybe all the waiting is because Gokhan himself has tried to be actually find some logic in his plan. <laughs> and finally, finally, at the end of Halloween 3, you know, he's finally given up and, you know, just go, goes with it. You know, there, there is no rhyme or reason for me to do this, but I have been building, building this shit up nevertheless all these years, so fuck it, I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah. Planetary yeah. alignment, so. Go ahead. Yeah, he says it himself. He's not. He's not deciding this thing, you know. The planets do. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm just a slave to the script, and the script does not make any sense. <laughs> I, I I saw the planets alignment and the planets for the script, and I just have to go with it. 
Absolutely. Same way like Absolutely. the fucking, you know, the assassination robot in the hospital at the beginning of the beginning of this film. Absolutely. We, we, which is a mechanical robot that still feels the urgent need to use gloves as not to leave fingerprints on the crime scene. I get you. I get you. Even if he does basically sets himself on fire right after the murder. But God damn, yeah, you know, I can't just leave those fingerprints. <laughs> Maybe he just likes to wear gloves. Yeah, maybe. You know, may, may, maybe that was something that Kirkland spent fucking five years of his life programming into his robots, you know. The compulsive yeah. need to wear gloves. You have to kind of uh, think what has happened to... Or if there was some kind of a real person before these robots were created. Because if you go by the Ellie Grimbridge killing or a- apparent changed robot then you would think that all the other people perhaps were real people as well yeah that's just something that came to my mind and the main assassin as they call it the main assassin is dick warlock the halloween 2 michael myers still one of the one of the guys with greatest names ever given to a human being that's also true (laughs) right there with you know names like max gatling or john feast (laughs) warlock acting in front of the actual warlock of this movie. Yeah. Uh, Dan O'Hurley, he, the bad guy, Connell Cochran, has said himself that he thoroughly enjoyed, I believe that was the quote, thoroughly enjoyed playing the character, but didn't think that the movie was that great. Okay, that's that's fair enough. About the town, yeah, you said that you enjoyed the town, yes? Yeah, I like the town a lot. I mean... Yeah, it's a beautiful town. I would love to visit this town. And I saw some videos of fans visiting this town, Loleta, California, or Lolita, however you pronounce that. I heard that there were one or two YouTubers who visited the town and they said that the locals were kind of rude and scary and they wanted to avoid these people because they were kind of hostile against these visitors. Well, what do you know? Small town. And probably maybe they are not too happy that... A small B-movie was shot in their town and all kinds of freaky people are visiting it with Michael Myers shirts and silver shamrock masks. Yeah, but then again, you know, I have to pick the question. Do the town folk even remember Halloween 3 happening Yeah. anymore? Yeah. Or is there that much Halloween fans visiting the town? I wonder how was the shooting, if they got any trouble from the local people during those times. Well, it could actually explain why you don't see almost any local people in the film. <laughs> yeah, it must be a really small town. Uh, God. But, but yeah. yeah, I really did like kind of the atmosphere and the tension that was in the town when yeah. they first arrived. And all, all those shots of the robots keeping an eye on them and the surveillance camera shots throughout the town that being said though the fucking town itself does not make any goddamn sense in this movie why like the town folk themselves which i take it are still human are surprisingly okay with kogran's evil plan and you know kogran basically running a police state in their town, and they are willing participants in covering up everything that crazy that goes on. The one lady getting his, her face melted off by the laser, and and the 
you know, the hotel manager is just there right away calling Kogan and, say, you know, getting the cover-up team to show up. How do you think that it's uh, it's like they're covering up anything? I think they're just some ignorant townspeople who don't understand what's even going on. And they kind of see and him the- as some kind of a god. And here we get to this, my point that I think this town is run like mini North Korea. I mean, they're obsessed about this one character. It's a character cult. And they have a lot of surveillance. And they have a curfew, to name a few Yeah, and you are okay with that. I mean, how the fuck are you okay with that? Yeah, that that's a good, uh, good, good there question. There is forced curfew, and the townspeople roll with that. There yeah. are open mics in their premises and their places of business, and the townspeople are okay with that. The hotel manager finds dead woman in one of his motor rooms and is okay with the general directions don't go the ambulance or medics just go the you know the factory staff yep i mean, yeah, I, i don't understand it myself there must be some some they must have been brainwashed in some way it doesn't make any sense otherwise yeah because you know when when you by introducing the robots the movie in itself makes the point that in his factory Cochrane did not hire the local people as a workforce. Instead, he hired outside help and uses robots, as shown in the film. Irish people, I guess, or so-called Irish robots. And, you know, if he uses robots that much, there is not even, you know, the usage. It's not so that Cochrane actually created any, any jobs to the town, since he uses outside workforce. And if he uses a lot of robots... He's not even providing customers to motels or barbers or saloons or anything like that in the town. So Cochran himself is not helping the town financially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how the hell are they actually going on with this plan? Yeah, fair point. Maybe that's how Irish people operate. <laughs> I haven't met any. Yeah, uh, n- neither have I. I've only seen leprechauns. <laughs> you have to wonder, maybe the Starkers, the drunken person's quote was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because he says that this year I'm going to get me a case and a half of Molotov cocktails and burn that son of a bitch right down. Last Halloween for them. Last Halloween. So is this carpenter saying something to us? <laughs> I I don't know. I I guess at this point Carpenter had to know that there is too much franchise appeal. <laughs> this not for this not to be the last Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. So Halloween three was not a successful movie, but actually, well, it got its budget back. It was something like the budget was the same amount as for Halloween two. Uh, Two million and five hundred thousand dollars, and in the box office, it made something to the effect of six point five million. So I would still say it was a success. They made their money back. But however, this sent the series to a long hiatus, and of course, the after effect was that Michael Myers had to be brought back, and you can imagine that. Nobody of the original crew was totally excited about that. So 
the rest of the series continues with a different group of people apart from some of the producers. That's an interesting curfew, by the way, because when the curfew takes effect, it seems that uh, Dr. Charles is st- still able to get some liquor or some drink from the liquor store. And he just goes on about his business, goes during the dark time of the day back to his hotel. And also the real-life wife of Dr. Charles is outside of the hotel talking now to Stacey Nelkin. So not very effective curfew. And later on, of course, this Dr. Charles's real-life wife explodes and Colonel Cochrane himself comes to explain the situation that everything is fine and she's getting the best medical care of all time. And this is one of the moments that kind of reminds me of North Korea or what could be happening in, in North Korea, that she's going to get the best care possible in my my personal facilities. It's yeah, very, and then, the, yeah. then later on Cochrane goes on and makes the excuse that they have actually transported the lady to an actual hospital. To oh, yeah. Further treatment, so best medical care my ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't quite work then. It was a milk factory that they used for the silver shamrock factory. Uh, they did use actual mask producer or actual, uh, you know, business that produces masks for this movie. Well, they had this... Uh, famous dude called Don Post doing the masks. They're really nice looking. And the part where they are at the factory when they're making the masks, that's actually inside the Don Post company. Yeah. The door where the final processing of the masks happens, it's actually still there and the whole building is still there, but there's a lot of grass growing around it and it's very dilapidated, but the door still says no admittance. That's interesting. I wonder if they added the no admittance there during the filming, or or is it for some other reason? And there were two locks in that door. Something interesting must be happening there. <laughs> what do you think about the actor Dan O'Hurley? Have you seen any of his movies? I think this is the only one that I have seen him in. Well, uh, I can't believe that that would be the case. But okay, uh, Robocop. Of course I've seen them. Years, years. Many years ago. Yeah, and you know, he's... Breakout role, the one he's forever remembered being the weird lizard alien in the last Starfighter. Ah, oh, yes. Ah, oh, yes. I'm still about to watch that movie. I still haven't seen it for some goddamn reason. Yeah, well, it's not, not that big, big of a deal because you really don't see Dan or Hurley at all throughout the prosthetics that he has. To yeah, do. so I heard. It's directed by Nick Castle, right? The actor of the shape in Halloween 1. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay, so I read the script, some notes about the script. So when they arrive to the town, there are trucks that are taking majority of the road space when they're driving there. And Ellie is calling the silver shamrock truck driver a jerk. (laughs) Uh, This is probably happening a little bit before they go by the silver shamrock novelties road sign. And the and then, then there is some extended dialogue. You know, the part where Ellie says that I feel like a goldfish. And, well, you kind of have those goldfish eyes on often. But anyway, um, Atkins replies that it's a company town. And I believe Ellie continues with that, with the line, Irish company town, whatever that means. 
it means that the town folks are mysteriously okay with North Korean curfews and police state tactics. Oh, yeah. And there's an extra scene where Marge is giving hell to the secretary about the screwed up order. So Marge is still very much alive when they go the next day to check on the order. And she invites Ellie to discuss the mask seal, which she says came off in her hand. And then later on, Charles and Ellie find her dead. So that was completely different. So at what time, you know, way they find her dead? It's like they visit the offices and they both complain about the order or talk about the order. And then they go back to the hotel and they meet there and somehow they are in, in the hotel room. And, and, and I believe they go away and then moments later she gets the laser into her face. Okay. And when the ambulance for March arrives to the hotel... Uh, Chalice starts arguing about the death and the microchipped seals with Cochrane. So there's a lot of moments where everything is made much, much more obvious. Like it's very confrontational script from the get go. And the fact that they find the body of March in the script, it makes it even more obvious what is going on. So I much prefer the movie take on the whole story because it leaves things a little bit more ambiguous or yeah it, it it would appear that it holds up the mystery longer absolutely yeah and Cochran goes to his desk to smoke a cigar right after chalice is captured and he offers him one but uh, dr chalice ignores him and asks where is ellie and Cochran's head turns into a grotesque pumpkin actually at his dead scene and he collapses on the floor dead now that would have been not so good. If this guy is uh, supposed to be some kind of druid witch or something from the a- ancient times, then I much prefer that he kind of just disappears than falling on the floor. I don't know. The pumpkin ending would have kind of a maybe helped out helped out to close some, you know, questions with the movie. Basically be with Cochrane's plan because it would have made kind of a the point that Cochran himself is a complete fucking vegetable. <laughs> Something about Dan O'Hurley, he, he has a degree on architecture, but instead he followed his father's footsteps and became an actor. And he says that whenever he uses Cork accent, he's having a good time. And he used a Cork accent in Halloween 3, apparently. So, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the role, but I didn't think it was much of a picture, no. Unquote. That's what he had to say about it. And like you said, he's known for Robocop 1, 2, Last Starfighter, and Halloween 3. What did you think about the soundtrack? It was okay for the most part. Although I have to confess that nothing of the soundtrack specifically kind of a stuck out for me. Yeah. It was one of these cases of typical science fiction horror movie soundtrack that does everything okay but does not really have any lasting impact once the movie is over yeah okay i think this is the first halloween where they have programmed tracks like this small that goes in the background it's run 
automatically. The radio playing during the girl's death in the coronary office, th- that's a nice touch. The only thing that is in the background is just the radio playing, and it continues to play after the death. Uh, that was kind of an artistic touch, the so-called non-diegetic approach. I like these kind of small things. And the soundtrack on the whole, I think it has like four or five different kind of themes, and they play throughout the movie. They're pretty nice. I like the soundtrack, but maybe there's nothing there's nothing as punchy as in Halloween 1 and Halloween 2, but still like it a lot. It's it's great. And I have to come off and say it straight out that contrary to what everybody else would kind of have you believe, the Silver Shamrock jingle is not really that catchy and it's not that big of an earworm. I think it has been playing in my ears for the last week. So good for you. Yeah. And I, I think it will continue to do so for the next month. I can upload the effect that they had. And it was clever play from the, was it London Bridges Falling Down? Yeah. Or what was the original yeah, song was. that they edited? So good work there. But I was able to forget Silver Sham- Shamrock Jingle almost immediately after opening the first beer. <laughs> London Bridge is falling down. Yeah, it was public domain, so they chose this as a jingle. But then again, you, you have to wonder why they have to use something that is public domain. Why why not just create your own jingle? Or maybe, maybe it's just used there because, you know, this was just a placeholder when they were creating the movie. And then they decided during the edit that, okay, we're actually going to keep this part where Tommy Lee Wallace is is talking and uh, singing in this advertisement. They thought it was funny, so they kept it. So London Bridge it was. But uh, then again, why would they actually use something that is public domain if it was just a placeholder? So they definitely had a plan to keep it in the movie in some way or another without Tommy Lee Wallace or not. I heard a rumor that it was used because of ta- time constraints that they had to hurry mm. up kind of a making up th- making the movie and coming up with an actual jingle and actually the, or, or the thought process and the idealiz- idealization of the of an actual jingle would have taken too much time yeah. so it, it was kind of a, was it Debra Hill's advice that just, you know, take something from the public domain and alter it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Deborah Hill always pulling the strings in the background. But that's just, you know, a rumor that I heard some time ago concerning concerning this movie, so it's unconfirmed. Yeah. One disturbing moment is when Dr. Chalice lets Starker to get a drink from his bottle that he just got from the liquor store. And he says that, I don't have any diseases, so that wouldn't be very convincing for me. I wouldn't let him take any drink of that bottle, would you? Of course. But, you know, <laughs> there there is the age-old fact of, you know, me being a student and me being a legendary booze hound, so passing on weird bottles with substances that you don't actually know what what's in there is kind of an everyday thing for me i have to be careful with you if we go drinking <laughs> i strongly recommend that you are extremely careful 
have to talk a little bit about the quotes because there's a lot of memorable ones. Do you remember any that kind of are? Do you have any quotes that stick out for you? Not on this movie so much, which is not, now that I mention it is kind of a surprising seeing that the movie still has John Atkins in it. And John Atkins usually manages to pull off, you know, great memorable stuff, even from the weakest of materials. Thrill me. <laughs> Have you seen Night of the Creeps? Legendary film. It's, absolute masterpiece. Should have gotten got an Oscar when it came out. It's absolutely brilliant. I just saw it, I think, uh, 24 hours ago for the first time in my life. And I have to say it. I'm glad I watched it because in this Halloween season of The Witch, you barely get kind of any of the... You don't really get any of his personality going through in this film too much. But in Night of the Creeps, he's wonderful. And uh, definitely I can see that he has a great sense of humor from everything else that I've seen from him. And in Season of the Witch, is completely a different animal. It is, but still... Atkins is one of the best things in Season of the Witch, in my opinion. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Not not trashing the movie too much. I mean, I've kind of made my case with my problems with the film already. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to leave it at that. But, you know, even without those problems, I would say that Atkins still would be kind of one of the high points of this movie. Yeah. He's, he's kind of a, like Sam Elliott, mm. that he kind of a, alleviates every movie that he's in and kind of brings something extra to every film he's, he works on. Yeah, you have to wonder why they chose this kind of protagonist where he is not very much of a hero material in the sense that he drinks a lot of beer, first of all. He's Yeah, he's border, borderline alcoholic. He's borderline alcoholic, yeah, and treats his kids like trash, basically. And I in, would too. I would too. <laughs> and in in the script, he's even more horrible. I believe it, it it's in during the bar scene early in the movie, around the twenty minute mark, when he first first starts to talk with Ellie, and he says that uh, I'm alright, but. I have to pick up my kids soon, so I don't really, I'm not really looking forward to that. That's like, wow, he, that makes him even more of an asshole. But, but yeah, there, there again, I kind of loved this asshole thing that was going on with his character. Yeah, at least it's something different. Not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, that is something that is quite often missing even in horror films yeah. and it gives gives some great moments for halloween thrill like for example when they first start to head to santa mira and he just phones his wife with, with a six pack of beer on top of the payphone and he's just <laughs> like honey it's a hot chick and i may get some tail so i just have to ditch the kids yeah, uh, I promise I'll be back home for take them to trick or treating. But right now, you know, by you all. Yeah. <laughs> In that sense, it's totally understandable that later on, when uh, Doctor Chalice is making the phone call from the factory, that she's totally not believing any word of 
of him and just just thinks that he is totally drunk and uh, nothing worth of listening. Then again, he also makes the classic mistake of actually spilling the beans or what's going on, which never helps in these kind of a scenarios where the truth is so completely unbelievable that no one hearing yeah. about it would ever kind of uh, take your word for it. You know what would be a much better plan if he would have just said that please drive the kids to location X and I will meet you there. Then they wouldn't have the television to watch. That that could have worked. Or simply stating that his life is in danger. Yeah. Or that his wife should try to call the cops to this Santa Mira that there is a dead body. Yeah, or yeah. something like that. Anything else except, you know, there's a weird, weird druid wizard going on and killer <laughs> androids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at least he knows not to call the police on that moment. Because calling her wife, that is the right way to go. Fuck the authority. Yeah, still I have to wonder what is wrong with the wife. Like, still Dr. Chalice makes a really compelling point that he says that the whole family, the whole Kupfer family is dead. And what she says next is something like, and that's not convincing enough or something like this. What the hell? She should have at least said, oh my God, that is, that is terrible. What happened? But she's not uh, in the least bit logical and just assumes that Dr. Chalice is totally drunk. I don't know. Maybe Dr. Chalice has used the entire family is dead excuse so many times that it has already worn off all its effectiveness. Ah, well, I never thought about it like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, when you are boozing this long, the <laughs> whole family is dead and I can't come to place X because of that. It's kind of a, you know, the go-to excuses you start to make. Mr. Henrik, let's talk about little buddy's finger. Does he really give the finger when he starts to drive with his with his bike? I think he's just giving the back of his hand. <laughs> I, I always took that he gives the fi- finger. Yeah, me too. But then when I look at my Blu-ray, um, I'm not so sure. It's just... See, that that's one of the moments where you have an unfair advantage over me because I'm stuck with low-quality VHS copies myself. Yeah, oh... You have you have still your VHS collection. I have to say, you goddamn, you have to update. You know, I just recently, you, I just recently transferred like, what was it like? God, like ninety VHSs professionally to digital version in format that is lossless. So they are huge freaking files, and oh my god, this professional guy he had to make so many changes to those originals first of all there's so much of this noise in the picture when you look at it from the laptop and he had to remove the noise to put a denoise filter on it and then like five years later he made true my second wish which is to get rid of the interlaced format and change the 50i format to 50p and god that took so much rendering power and uh, working hours and Finally, I'm free of all the chains of the terrible format that is VHS. But that's just you. You have been spoiled by the advantages of modern technology and you can no longer stand, you know, the high quality that is a VHS. Holy crap. Not much to add there. 
Like, uh, do you even, you know, play the early 90s 3D shooters anymore? Or is, is are the graphics too horrendous for your eyes? I still play some Sega Saturn games with my emulator. And I just recently got, like, a USB hub that actually allows me to play with the original controller. So I'm ecstatic. It's the best console controller that I've ever used. I'm playing Tomb Raider happily. Of course it looks quite terrible on on the laptop, but what I really appreciate is that I can now finally play my old games without the fog of the analog cables like SCART. So now I get all the pixels in absolute clarity. Of course there are these uh, emulators give you a lot of choices like you can put some kind of softening effect and all crap like that but I don't care about that it's so great to play with the full pixels on but that's a different thing VHS is terrible yeah, VHS is not terrible in any anymore <laughs> well, God, well. for your grandfather VHS was the end of high technology so it's good enough for you too <laughs> oh, how many horizontal and vertical points do you get with VHS compared to Blu-ray? And and how many of your VHSs are pan-scan format? (laughs) I I would say (laughs) at least half of them. (laughs) Yeah, so there you go. Okay, yeah. But, you know, you you don't need to see the whole picture to enjoy the movie. I could argue that I enjoy this movie a lot more because I can see everything, like 50% more of the film and the dead kid's eyes when he's dying on the floor with his mask, all these kind of little things. Looks juicy. I I, I would actually, I would make the case that, you know, I can actually travel all the way to Poland to see your high-end Blu-ray copy of this film where you can as you said you can see everything and I would still see no point in Cochrane's plan or in the plot <laughs> okay I can grant you that I can grant you that when it comes to the quotes it's uh, there's a lot of mannerisms that I get from Stacey Elkin and Dano Hurley that are quite hilarious and give a lot of great character out of these people for example it's almost legendary by now the quote when Dan O'Hurley, he, Carl Cochran, leaves the room with Daniel Chalice and says, Oh, and happy Halloween. That's great. And uh, it's also something that the f- this f- uh, Roger Ebert also. So, 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 some real love for, for Roger Ebert. Right there. Roger Ebert said that uh, Stacey Nelkin, she has kind of a rapt yet humorous attention that I thought was really fetching. Too bad she plays her last scene without a head. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when it comes to the quotes, there's this li- really subtle little quotes that make my day in this movie. Like when the hotel owner says that any bags, she she replies, oh, yeah. Then 
I believe the best quote of out of the whole movie is, Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? Long silence. Wait, wait. That's a dumb question, Miss Crimbridge. Yeah, get, get in the move zone right away. <laughs> the the cl- classical, you know, uh, or the classical pickup l- tactic of, hey, your da- dad died on my watch. Do you want to screw? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is even better. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, slow down, slow down. It's getting late, and I could use a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, about the locations. What is my drink? There you are. When Stacey Nelkin and whatever, I'm mixing the character names and the actor names all the time. But Stacey Nelkin and Dr. Chalice leave with the car with a bunch of drinks. And I think this location is 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 the same parking lot that you see in Halloween 2 with the boombox boys scene. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it is the same one. When you know he's calling uh, his ex-wife and gets the drinks from top of the phone booth. I think that's it. Could be. My eyes eyes were too caught on the six-pack at that moment for me to actually pay, play that co- close of a notice on yeah. the parking lot. I drink some Miller and fuck this woman. I call you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look after the kids, hey, while while, while I'm gone. <laughs> so this movie finally came out on October 22nd, 1992. The trailers didn't really properly allude to the fact that this is not a Michael Myers movie. So there was a major backlash. The film was even booed at the audience. So, but in the last few years, the movie has garnered a lot of cult appeal and appreciation and people have a newfound respect for Season of the Witch. I would make the case that the cult appeal and the newfound respect is more due to the fact how the franchise turned out after a, you know, part 3 or part 4 depending on your opinions and not so much on, you know, a Season of the Witches merits as a standalone film like the rest of the Halloween franchise turning out to be a shit show really helped to boost kind of the appreciation for part 3 in my opinion yeah another symbolism apart from the drunken guy regarding John Carpenter's possible opinion how this movie series would go in this future or not go is the fact that Dr. Chalice is kicking the TV that shows Halloween and destroying it. Or maybe it's a response to the fact that these people, Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace, definitely don't want to continue with the Michael Myers storyline. If you want to look for symbolism, that could be a kind of fun analogy. Did you see the trailer? No, I have actually never watched the trailer for this film. This one. Yeah, at least the teaser that I what I consider a teaser is not very much alluding to the fact that this is a movie without Michael Myers. It shows one of those three masks and there's a whispering voice in the background, which is kind of weird. Is it Tommy Lee Wallace again? I'm not sure. There's a white mask and 
superimposed eyes behind the mask in a close-up and spider coming out of its mouth. It's pretty gross and grotesque. Let's talk about the tagline of the movie, the night no one comes home. But there's this guy on the loudspeaker from the Silver Shamrock Company saying that gather to your homes and please watch the big giveaway at nine. So that's totally contradicting the tagline of the film. That is. It would have been that tagline, or better tagline would have been the night everybody comes home. Yeah, that's more accurate. Before the release of the movie, Tom Atkins wasn't sure how the movie was going to end, if that helps uh, your feelings towards the movie in any way. Well, he told that there was several endings. They shot a couple of different endings, is the direct quote. And Tommy Lee Wallace went with the choice that he went with. And one of the choices that I know of is that when the end titles come on, it was supposed to be with a background sound of millions of children dying at their homes. How wonderful. But he decided to go with the less obvious route and leave it a little bit more to the interpretation that maybe he didn't succeed or maybe he did. I I personally think that, you know, the plan of having the sound of dying children at the background would have been the better call to make here. Hmm. Yeah, well, then it's definitely super obvious. In my opinion, it's quite obvious still, even with this edit. I mean, the whole kind of idea of one crazed old man yelling on the phone that you have to stop broadcasting on all TV channels and someone actually taking his word and going with it in the middle of a Halloween movie marathon is so out of this world that it's kind of obvious that they are not going to cut all the signals. Yeah, that's highly unbelievable. But hey, if you would be a guy who would tell a TV station that this broadcast is a bomb, how would you react? I would just, I mean, you know, hang up the phone. Mm, but, but what if the broadcast itself is a signal to somebody to launch a bomb. You know, at that point, actually, I would boost the signal on all channels just to see what would happen. Oh, God. Well, uh, you know, there's no way in hell that anyone could point it out on me and say that, you know, I should have somehow should have known what would happen upon broadcasting that signal. Yeah, yeah, it's... Totally ridiculous. Well, they kept the channel 3 on and the rest is unknown history. I have kind of a weird sense of rhythm in my in my brain about some kind of beats or some kind of music. Because when I look at that ending with Tom Atkins screaming at the phone, Stop it! Stop it! I can find a beat and I, I would like to like uh, kind of time it with the music that is in the background, the jingle. I would love to do some kind of a remix out of it. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Stop it. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> I can totally see it. <laughs> I, I can somehow see your crazy person actually doing this. <laughs> you can guarantee I will do it after this podcast. Yeah, our poor listeners. 
<laughs> yeah. There's this black guy at the gas station. He takes this injured guy to the hospital. There's a weird moment where there's a cut to the TV saying something. I'm I'm forgetting what it was, but uh, they they need to show the TV or something on the screen, and this is why they let this black guy do some improvising. Even in the script, it says that this is the part where the black guy can improvise. And he says some pretty weird things, like he's extremely concerned that something will happen to him because he has brought this guy to the hospital. Like, hope nothing is going to happen to me, and I would do the same if it was somebody else. Well, to be completely honest, in the gas station attendance position what i would have done is i would have taken the guy and just you know drag him behind the gas station and left him left him there quickly covering him covering him up with some you know old newspapers and a litter like that and just continue my night like nothing has happened so that i i would not have to uh, eventually deal with the authorities and have to go that trouble of actually explaining who this guy is and what happened and do I have any did he say anything to me when he crashed my gas station and you know all that formal hassle that comes with helping someone out yeah I know and there's some comments online that they feel that this character, this gas station guy, is really sympathetic, and they really kind of feel that he's a great character in the in the movie. But I think he's an evil character in the end. How come? Mm. How come evil? I mean, he just just happens to know the bureaucracy that awaits him now that he has helped some random dojo to get some medical attention. Yeah, if we ever go, you know, drinking together, this is the second part, you know, which you have to remember. First one is be extremely careful with any bottles that I have with me. And the second one is don't get any medical, uh, anything that requires medical attention, because I will leave you dead on that spot just to save myself the trouble. After all these years. All these years, and I'm still an asshole. No, 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 you're you're a sweetheart inside. So there's another logical problem with the broadcast if we get back to it. Because it there's going to be this big giveaway at nine. And this is supposed to be, I believe, Los Angeles time. So if you look at the East Coast, then it would be even later. Let's say, what's the East Coast on the time zone? So basically, supposed to be ba- ba- uh, like 12 a.m. So basically, Cochrane can only kill, uh, kill the kids on Los Angeles area. And the East Coast would be unharmed because by the time that the signal would go on in the East Coast, the kids would have already started dying on Los Angeles area. And there would be a nationwide panic because of this and nobody would anymore be paying any attention to the TV broadcast. Yeah, you mean if they would just broadcast it at nine in the respective time zones. Yeah, yeah. that wouldn't that wouldn't work either. You're absolutely right. That's a major flaw. There's, it's also never actually pointed out what the hell is the big giveaway that 
they, they are promising like what 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 is the Nothing. price yeah. that they would promise to all these kids that they would be waiting yeah why would they be so enthusiastic about this broadcast yeah hey hey if i would be a kid wearing a mask during halloween i would probably be trick or treating even during that time or probably not w- watching tv at home I don't know. Yeah, but, but okay, there's the horror thorn. Yeah, okay. but but still, I have to give you know Cochrane some points here for the fact that he's actually having his big giveaway giveaway and uh, kid killing signal moment in the middle of Halloween one. So that means that he's tempting the kids to watch Halloween one in the middle of a night, waiting for that big giveaway moment. Absolutely. What about the pin itself, the shamrock pin or seal? You mean, you think that plenty of kids would try to remove it or want to remove it. Even the parents might want to remove it from the mask before any big giveaway would even happen. I don't know. Maybe silver shamrock is such of a big deal amongst the kids. In this movie's universe that the been as a sign a sign of an authenticity is kind of a big deal for the kids yeah <laughs> perhaps what do you think about the Conal Cochran's creations especially the dead dwarf gag did you catch it what the hell is the dead dwarf gag where was the Appar- dead dwarf gag well when when the coffer guy is telling the doctor Charles that Conal Cochrane is known for the toilet paper gag and the dead dwarf gag, among something else. So what the hell is the dead dwarf gag? I, I, I'd like I, to know. I would have loved to see the dead dwarf gag. Me too. Like maybe it's, you know, this, this life-size fake body of a horribly mangled dead dwarf with, you know... A, intestines hanging out and half the brain half of the head missing and you know you can just take this fake body and just throw it on some place and see the general reaction that it causes and that should have told you something about Cochrane and his evil plan in beforehand but you just couldn't take it it would have told everyone that the man's has a real appreciation for practical jokes. Like, like just, just picture a moment. Like, there, there is a huge driveway, some highway, and, and a bridge going on top of it, and you are standing on the bridge, and you just throw the fake body of a dead dwarf on the highway in front of some car, and see it hitting the brakes, and then there is this huge collision of... 20 cars and mangled bodies coming out of it. Oh. I, I mean, you know, that, that itself is one of, you know, would be top five of practical jokes of all time. <laughs> How do you feel about the cinematography of this film? Any thoughts? I, uh, mostly it's okay. I, it has some real highlights when showcasing the the quiet threat and the surveillance within Santa Mira. And there is really great shot at the end of the film when 
when Dr. Chalice is running from the burning factory and there is there is the factory against the red sky and there is really nice apocalyptic feeling on that shot otherwise I, I would say that the cinematography is is okay although I profoundly hate the fact that when at the final hospital assassination when the robot comes in to kill the coroner lady and there is and the whole power drill execution that happens in the film I really have a you know a small stone to pick with the film crew for the fact that they actually do not show the final kill but instead cut to the behind angle of the robot on those final moments you know robbing us the final shots because the makers of this film are not goddamn artists in any way. Wow, that's quite a claim. Because Dean Candy is involved still. Still robbing us the money shot on the power drill kill. Unforgivable. Hey. Unforgivable. Yeah, they can show a lady with a completely blown out face with a cockroach coming out of it. But they cannot show the power drill. Yeah. Hmm. That being said, they also, since we were still are talking about the cinematography, I have to point out that when it comes to those scenes of people getting hurt because of the druid mask thing going on, and this being the lady in the hotel room getting lasered in the face and the little kid cover dying in the test room A, all, all those scenes are extremely well shot and in my in my opinion really well capture kind of the the nastiness and this otherworldly violence of those yeah. moments it has really some very repulsive disgusting scenes we haven't even talked about the test room a scene which is probably the most memorable scene in the whole damn movie it's really it still holds up well today in in regards of repulsiveness yeah and it it's not even that gory scene you are you are not shown actual violence you are shown somewhat melted halloween mask and then you know snakes and cockroaches yeah 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 it looks like Somebody just went to the pet store and got some bugs from there. Well, there's also the snakes there, which is really disturbing. You, I, Whenever I watch these scenes, I have to wonder, like, in which part exactly were the actual actors part of the scene? I mean, there must be, like, a, a stunt guy for all of the scenes where all the disgusting reptilian motherfuckers are in the room. That's where the dead dwarf comes in. Ah. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe it's one of those days like in the first nightmare on Elm Street where they just, you know, have the act, actor, you know, yeah. throughout this gross-out scene and the actor just stays there and they just covered... In, in Halloween 3's case, him with all these cockroaches and snakes. I mean, they did this on the first nightmare on Elm Street. 
Mm, yeah. Where in the schoolhouse nightmare. I know. The actress was actually yes. In the scene doing the acting entire time it was never switched to any stunt person or you know yeah. body double in any way and they I just remember. Yeah, they just pumped her more and more with bugs and snakes and so kind of a looked how far she would go with that. Yeah, oh god. Oh god. Imagine if that thing would go into your intestines or inside your throat. Yeah. <sighs> but but you know that it's it's those moments where you really have to kind of uh, tip your hat to the ac- actress and just you know yeah. upload the raw courage that she portrays. Yeah, since we're talking about that, the March actor during her death scene, she actually refused, uh, Garn Stevens is her name, she refused to play on that scene with all of that makeup, and it was some kind of a body double who did that. That's that's probably entirely because of the bug. Yep. There, there you can see, not everyone can go. Nightmare on Elm Street, one uh, horrific yeah. dead bodies, actresses, levels of professionality. All in all, it's not a terribly scary movie. It is more of a, a children's magical scary tale with some horrifying images. At least now in the later years when I'm reviewing this movie, it feels like a kind of a sweet little tale about... Warlock trying to kill all the kids after 35 years of doing successful business for whatever reason. A cl- classical sweet story material. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have always been on the same way myself with this film. I've never found it quite scary. I, I have found it mysterious and atmospheric and there, there has been some troubling moments and this hostile atmosphere in some parts of the movie but I would never have said that it's actually scary yeah I will tell you right now that it's probably the most disgusting Halloween movie that there is I'm still holding my breath for the moment when we visit Halloween 8 Oh, well, yeah, in a different kind of way, that's or, disgusting. Or maybe Rob Zombie's, you know, oh. takes on the franchise could be even more disgusting when it comes to oh. show, showing the nastiness. That's one thing. Since we are, or one thing that has stuck my eye now that we are seeing these in close sessions is the fact that part three appears to be the one where the jump scares really start to creep into the franchise. Like, this, this appeared to be more heavy on the jump scare moments than the previous two entries. That's true. When the drunken person approaches Tom Atkins and when Stacy Elkin comes in contact, contact with Marge at the parking lot of the hotel. Yeah, they, they are both those moments where they really yeah. play the sound cue. Definitely. Just to return to something that I forgot to mention about our lovely friend Roger Ebert. 
the dude dead and you're making some hilarious joke about the fact. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really weird about this review because he, he says that this is one of those identity kit movies assembled out of familiar parts from other better movies. It begins at the end of Halloween 2 when the monster was burned up in the hospital parking lot, but it's still another retread of the invisible monster. What does it mean? Is it like, is he saying that literally that it continues from Halloween 2? Or this, or is it just the case that Roger Ebert has arrived to the theater 15 minutes late and he's now seeing as the first scene the burning car and then he's taking a problem with that, that this is, it, it continues from there with the story. Well, in Roger's, Roger's defense, Halloween 3 never makes clear point at what time in the timeline does the movie take place. Well, the movie doesn't definitely begin in any, like... It doesn't begin with the flamed-up robot. It looks like somebody just arrived to theater 50 minutes late. It is, yeah. It is, and kind of a... Now that I mentioned it and tried to defend Roger here, I I have to make the point against myself that since... Halloween 1 and 2 happened on Halloween night and this is now and a season of the witch starts from counting to Halloween night at almost a year must have passed between the movies because we have already passed Halloween night. Yeah, to Roger's defense, at the time of his review he had less access to any kind of fact checking. Now we have IMDB and so on on the internet. But uh Even then, he maybe should have done some more research. Unless he's meaning this like figuratively, like that the, the scene reminds him of Halloween 2. I have no idea what he's talking about there, yeah. by the way. Yeah, could be. Hard, hard to say. This may, may be one of those poetic kind of uh, expressions that you can use in film reviews if you have one Pulitzer. Henrik, what would you improve in the film? The fucking ending. The payoff to the whole mystery. That is the main sticking point for what me. What would you change? I, I, I like the mystery at the at first. I like the apocalyptic feeling at the ending, but the closer we come to the final shots, the longer the investigation kind of a goes on the more the actual payoff starts to become kind of a non-existing. Yeah, if you would go with the reality route with this movie, I think we should send Tom Atkins near the broadcast station and just get a rocket launcher from somewhere and just blow up all the satellites to hell so they would not be able to broadcast it. Something I would have actually done. Now, now, now that you brought up at the beginning of this episode the discussion of this movie being about old world witchcraft meeting the computer age which is a argument that people ambush me every now and then and which creeps up every now and then when discussing this movie I personally really feel 
that the whole discussion is quite non-existing in this film and is a huge missed opportunity. Like there, there is elements of this discussion in a for, for in the form that Cochrane is a some kind of a warlock who uses high-tech science to aid him in the form of the androids and then is using the TV airwaves to launch kind of this massive spell to have have his blood sacrifice. But those are kind of a two small plot points or just two plot points in the film and I don't feel that there were there is real discussion going on about what it really means for the outward magic to be tied into this high-end technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something that I would change in the film, I would change the Dr. Chalice's reaction when Cochrane explains his plans. And since Cochrane himself brings up the point that Chalice should kind of appreciate his approach as a man of science, I would play up that point and have Chalice be show, show scientific interest in how Cochrane is pulling off his plan and how Cochrane feels that it ties into this outward mysticism and magic that he him uh, that Cochrane presents and have those have Chalice and Cochrane have this discussion about what what it means mm-hmm. when the magic faces the uh, computer era. Yeah, I always found it a little interesting that this ancient warlock really needs the or wants to use the modern technology to get his job done. But when it comes to the cinematography that we were talking earlier, I could really see the Michael Myers character being right at home in this kind of lighting and environment that they have created for Halloween 3. It looks like the lighting of Halloween 2. And the same guy is doing the cinematography, it's Dean Gundy. So that explains that part. I think it's shot really well for the most part. There are moments where it's a little bit odd how they haven't left a lot of empty space for the frame on the left or the right side of the frame to kind of give you the eerie feeling that something might be happening on left or right side of the screen. For example, when Dr. Chalice is running away from the factory and uh, taking some fire escape steps. Scenes like that are carved in my memory as something where the main character is in the middle of the frame. So it doesn't really convey any kind of horror to me. So I think the cinematography slightly lacks when in comparison to Halloween 2. But... uh, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Not as scary as Halloween 2. Yeah, not not as effective. I guess it's the closing shot of Dr. Chalice screaming that the signal is still going on on Channel 3. Well, I like the scenes in the control room when Dr. Chalice is playing with the controls. Somebody mentioned that it's unbelievable that Dr. Chalice is able to push the right buttons to 
launch the video playing on the screens. But actually, when you watch the footage, you see that Colonel Cochrane is pushing the buttons 6, 6 and 6, as it happens. And when Dr. Chalice gets the buttons, he presses the same buttons. So Dr. Chalice was really smart there, even if he was slightly under the influence of beer. He was able to catch that. And there's a lot of kind of problematic moments like that because he presses the buttons and then he goes upstairs to drop the pins on top of the androids. But um, why are they reacting with the TV signal now? Because they could have activated as well when they were in the boxes, right? Yeah, that's something that I was wondering also. Like, how how the hell does Dr. Chalice's plan work out in the end? Yeah, but apparently it works, and Colonel Cochrane even gives a little bit of a warm applause. Well done. The whole Stonehenge rock is now reacting with those pins, and it's launching this incredibly powerful warlock signal, and he explodes from this reality to the next or something. It's really kind of a hard to say from that last image of Cochrane. What the hell is happening? That's true. What's the first image that you think when you think of the wonderful thing that is Halloween season of the witch? I guess it, I guess the first is the first hospital kill. I think I generally think of the town of Santa Mira and the shot when the sun is in the background and they are on their way driving to Santa Mira. It's a very no- nice countryside shot. Yeah, you are much more triangle person than I. <clears throat> What's your overall feel of the season of the witch? Would you recommend this beast of the beast? I, honest to God, don't know. <laughs> like... Uh, I mean, like I said, uh, I like the first half of the movie. I I like how it builds up mystery. I I like I like the first shots of Santa Mira. I like the police state aesthetic that it gives. I enjoy the apocalyptic feeling that the end of this film has on its final moments, but. The second half just it just starts to wheel off to a wrong direction for me. The townspeople being so okay with Cochrane, the 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 lack of payoff at the end of the film really grinds my gears here. So ah fuck it, no no, I would not recommend. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Let's cut it with that. Okay, so the old stance from about 10 to 15 years ago still stands strong with you. Yeah, I'm still with my thoughts that I presented all those years ago, even though I have softened up softened up to the film at this point, and I can say that seeing what the direction where the franchise eventually went 
this would have Halloween 3 was a noble attempt it, it was not that criminal of them try to turn this into a into an anthology series and compared to the rest of the franchise it would have been the right it would have been the right direction they should have went on with the anthology approach but still Halloween 3 just ain't the movie yeah I have a lot of mixed feelings about this as you have I mean I in one end of the spectrum I feel bad for Tommy Lee Wallace that this is his first directing job and I think he did a pretty good job here and he had a lot of help of course because <laughs> who could have a better setting than having the Halloween crew and Dean Candy no less as your cinematographer on your first movie but um I like that it's something different. I wish they could have taken the anthology route as well. I think if they would have made a Halloween 4 with the anthology route again, I think it would have been something interesting. I mean, you can't make an anthology movie interesting every time. I have no major problems with the movie, but I'm not absolutely amazed by the movie at the same time. I'm not absolutely crazy about Season of the Witch either. But given that it's it's still bringing something new to the table, and it's probably le- less cheesy than many of the follow-ups, and thanks to the cinematography of Dean Cundy, and the music of John Carpenter, perhaps, I still like the mood and the atmosphere. And if I would have to choose to rec- recommend or not to recommend... I mean... I'm not against it, but I it's not something that I would outright recommend to anyone. What the hell do I do in this situation? <laughs> Flip a coin. <laughs> do I have coins? God damn it. I think it's a curiosity, an interesting piece of cinema still. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Don't put me in this position. And you put yourself in this position. From the episode one. <laughs> well, isn't that what you wanted? You wanted this system. Recommend or not recommend. Uh, that, that is true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. But, so but then, fo- then again, would you be any more happier now having to give this one for one to five stars? No, no, it wouldn't help me because it would be in the middle. Give me a minute. Yeah, take all the time you want. We are talking about Halloween 3 in the end, so it's not going to be an easy call to make. But I must admit, I at, at some level I enjoy that even you are having hard time to actually choose would you recommend this film or not. <laughs> now you feel my place all those years ago. At least it's something original. I feel like Halloween 4 is already going astray, kind of repeating all the old traits of the series, which kind of feels like copycat. At the end of the day, I'm not really against the movie. And because of the beautiful cinema- cinematography... Uh, 
If you're a Halloween fan, you're gonna watch it nevertheless. But would I recommend Halloween Season of the Witch? I do recommend Halloween Season of the Witch at the end of the day. But it's not like I would urge you to watch this movie. I mean, it's an okay warlock witch movie. No boots on the ground. Very fantastical. If you like that sort of thing, that's okay. I I don't like the fantastical movies too much. But in the case of Halloween Season of the Witch, um, I have a slight soft spot for it, for the aforementioned reasons. So you can watch it, but I wouldn't urge you to watch it either. I'll, I'll, I will let you watch it. I'll recommend it, but with some cautions. Is that good enough? Hey, works for me. <laughs> so, next up, Halloween 4. The return of Michael Myers. So that everybody knows that it's the Michael Myers that is coming back to your screens to scare you. You can find us online on facebook.com slash theflicklab, twitter.com slash flicklab, youtube theflicklab, and instagram theflicklab. Clear enough? Are you trying to say that, you know, this podcast can be found on the internet? <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> All right. My name has been Curry or Curry, and Henrik was my co-host. See you next week with some more... Maskian action. To the next week. Bye bye. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Impossible to avoid here where I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs>